Sam Slater from Fun Calibre and today I've been joined by Dr Niall O'Connor, Manager of Brooks McDonald Defensive Capital Fund. Hi Niall. Good morning. So could you perhaps start by talking us through the stock market falls and how the fund fared and perhaps talk a little bit about some of the big mispricing issues that you came across where shares were valued at less than the underlying assets of the company? Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously, March was a very, very difficult month. It was the, the fastest and sharpest sell-off um, that any of us have seen in our stock market careers. Um, and UK equities were down around 35% at one point. Um, and all equity markets pretty much across the world were down sort of 30 to 38 uh, by the end of March. Um, the fund, I mean, typically, we would do about a third of the downside of equities. Um, but actually, it was... A bit worse than that. We were down 20% year to date at one point. So it did feel quite uncomfortable. Um, but what we pointed out at the time was that there was a huge amount of forced selling. Um, a lot of assets were just mispriced. And it was quite similar to what we saw in 2009, where there was just an absolute dash for cash. Um, and as a measure of stress, there was a US Treasury ETF, which was trading at a 5% discount. So you could actually buy $100 of US Treasuries for $95. Um, and that showed how desperate people were. Um, and at the time, we pointed out that asset valuations just seemed wrong. Um, so you, you asked the question, you know, where shares were trading at less than the underlying assets. Uh, we were buying things where shares were trading at less than the cash that companies were holding. Um, so, you know, one example of that was Riverstone Energy. Um, that had £2 per share cash uh, and around £2 per share worth of, of North American oil and gas assets. And that was trading just above a pound. So it was almost trading at half its cash levels. Uh, but I think people were just scared, obviously, with the, the word energy in the name. Uh, and obviously, we had a point where US oil briefly went negative. So people were just selling it as fast as they could. Um, you know, other examples, JP Morgan Global Real Assets Fund. Um, uh, that wasn't even invested. So that had 60% of its assets at cash um, and was trading at 70%. Um, so again, you know, you're buying something at barely more than its cash levels. Um, another example may be um, Amadeo Air Force, uh, Air Force Plus. Um, that was had a market cap of 190 million and 130 in cash, um, and a whole load of uh, wide-body aircraft assets, which again I think put people off. Um, so we really felt there were a lot of assets that were just trading way, way below any sort of sensible levels of valuation. And how's the fund fared since then? How's it recovered? Sure. Um, well, as I said, I mean, we, we we felt that markets were oversold. We went into this crisis with quite a lot of cash. Um, and pretty much we went all in at, at the end of March. Um, so we invested most of our cash. Um, we had some uh, some puts for downside protection. We let those expire. Uh, and, we, and we started buying some of these assets at these very distressed valuations. Uh, so since the low point, the fund's actually up 19%. Um, pretty much in a straight line, um, which is just a remarkable performance. Um, you know, to put that into context, the best year the fund ever had was 2010, uh, and we were plus 11 for the whole year, uh, and now we've done 19% in just two months. And dividend cuts are obviously a worry for investors at the moment. Could mm. you perhaps talk to us about where you're finding what I've heard you call safe yield? Yeah, so originally we invested just in these assets where we, we thought they were extremely distressed and, and a lot of those have come back now and we've, we've done very well out of those, as you can see from the fund performance. 
Um, and the next theme we thought uh, would come in was this, this idea, as, as, you, as you mentioned, safe yield. So we looked at UK 10-year bonds. I mean, traditionally, obviously, investors have been able to get yield from, from government bonds. Um, but government bonds, the 10-year went down to about 0.2%, and, and at the moment, it's trading at 0.4%. So if you subtract some costs from that, there's, there's no way of getting any yield from government bonds. UK equities, um, you know, I'm sure everyone's aware now that the dividends have been slashed. Um, dividend futures for this year are suggesting around a 2.8% yield. Um, you know, Shell was obviously the big example, the big shock, I think, to the market of a, a company that hadn't cut its dividend for tens of years and has now cut. Um, but what I think the market really hasn't fully factored in is how low dividends are forecast to stay. Um, so there are tradable dividend futures and they're suggesting that the uh, UK equity yield for 2025 will only be 3%. And obviously, UK income investors have been used to between 4 and 6 So I don't think it's really fully appreciated how difficult it is going to be to generate income going forward. Um, so we, we had a look around to see if we could find um, what we call safe yield. So, so what we mean there is, obviously, you're going to have to take some risk to generate yield, uh, but it must be possible to uh, look at it on a sort of risk reward basis. So, you know, for instance, REITs was an obvious place uh, to generate yield. Um, logistics REITs, clearly the safest place because um, logistics is going to be even more important in the uh, post-COVID world as everyone goes to online shopping. Um, so we looked at Tritax Big Box REIT, for instance, that was yielding 6.2%. Um, and its biggest customer is Amazon and clearly Amazon's not going bust. Um, so we bought that around the 106 mark and, and we've sold it recently at around 140. Um, so logistics obviously is pretty safe, but the yields there have compressed quite substantially. Um, a couple of places where we feel that the, the yields are still not uh, compressed enough, student property. Um, so obviously everyone's quite worried about our students going to go back to university. Uh, I think there's too much worry there. And then the yields on those REITs are very high. And multi-let industrial as well is a really interesting play against the high street shopping. So, you know, STEM prop is an interesting one there. That's yielding 6.3 at the moment. A couple of other places where you can still get interesting yield. One is the high yield or credit space. Um, high yield's done extraordinarily well year to date. It's just down 3% now compared to UK equities at minus 14. Uh, but still, I think there's some way to go there because there's so much uh, government intervention being put into companies that I still think it's quite unlikely that companies go bust. We mostly invest in the high yield credit space via convertibles. Um, and a really interesting example we had there was Endeavor Mining. Um, the, the CDS, or if you like, the yield that uh, that, that convertible implied uh, was around 5% uh, above government bonds. Um, but it's rapidly deleveraging and it will have net cash by the end of next year. So you know, that's almost a risk-free investment generating 5%. Um, and we bought that at 98 in March, and then that's now trading around the 117 mark. And I, I think it's got a little way to go. So there's a lot more compression in the yields in high yield to go. Obviously, you need to be careful um, because not all high yield companies will survive, but I, I think there's some interesting trades. Uh, and then looking at sort of uh, market neutral or sort of idiosyncratic, the renewables energy space was very interesting. Um, Again, those were yielding at nearly 6%, and that yield's paid for by the UK government. So you know your yield is secure there. Um, and then finally, another a company we quite like, Hypnosis Songs Fund, uh, which owns music rights. 
Uh, and again, with the growth you're seeing in Spotify, I think that's got an enormous tailwind. I think had that been a US company, it probably would have been up 100% year to date. Uh, but as it's a UK investment trust, it still looks pretty good value. And the alternative space was kind of gathering a bit of momentum before uh, the coronavirus hit. Do you think that given what's happened, these are now quite long-term trends that actually it's going to be these areas and their growth and the yield there where actually we're going to get the income from for the next sort of five, ten years? Yes, it's very interesting, you know, what will change? And I think one of the risks in the middle of any crisis is that you always think this time it's different, the world will change dramatically and and nothing's ever going to be the same. And what we've seen in in previous crises is that that's an inevitable human reaction. Uh, But actually things don't change quite as much as you think. And six months or a year later, pretty much everything's gone back to normal. Um, I think there are some things where there'll be some step changes. Clearly, internet shopping um, was a a big trend that we've seen over the last five or 10 years. Um, And I think this will just accelerate that that change. Um, And so logistics, obviously, is is a good place to be in in terms of the REIT space. Um, Student property, going back to that one, is, I I think, a thing where actually people will probably forget largely about this crisis in a year's time, um, particularly as it's the... an affliction which doesn't really affect younger people nearly so much as older people. Um, So I think, you know, students will still want to go to university. Students still need to be educated. Um, And I think in a year's time, we'll largely be back to where we were before from a student property perspective. And finally, what are your thoughts on whether we'll get inflation or deflation going forwards? Obviously, we've had a lot of government intervention, which is supposed to be inflationary, but deflation has always come up as well. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, we've got some very, very big drivers pulling very strongly in opposite directions. Um, You know, obviously, on a very short term perspective, there's massive demand destruction. People just aren't spending any money because there's nothing to spend money on. You know, if you're not going on holidays, you're not going to bars and restaurants, you're not staying in hotels. Um, So clearly, there's a very strong deflationary pressure. Um, But I think we also need to be quite cautious uh, about thinking that this inevitably leads to deflation. Uh, because we've also had quite a lot of supply side destruct- destruction. Um, so, you know, a couple of examples I'd give of this is you know, if you think about a hairdresser, if we are going to go into a social distancing environment where a hairdresser in future only has 50% of its chairs occupied, the, the price of a haircut must go up um, simply if that business is to carry on making profits. Likewise, if you look at the latest CPI numbers, um, you know, the price of flights and the price of uh, ships. Uh, ship sailings has gone up very substantially uh, because clearly there's very, very little supply. Um, and then the other thing we need to think about is uh, from a supply chain perspective, you know, if, if you were making tractors and you had to produce part of the engine, you've now discovered that widget was made in a factory in Wuhan, which you probably didn't think about as being an issue before. You're now going to look to second source that or third source it, maybe from Vietnam or maybe from, uh, from Oxfordshire, Um, So inevitably, that makes things more expensive. This whole idea of moving to specialised suppliers just in time production, a lot of that has to be rolled backwards. A lot of the globalisation we've seen, which was also uh, quite deflationary, also has to be rolled back. Uh, So we are going to see some inflationary pressures. Um, And then on top of that, obviously, because people have not spent an awful lot of money over the last three months, um, I think that's one of the reasons we've seen the big rally in stock markets is because 
Um, you know, maybe it's not a coincidence. The big rally we saw last week was just after the latest payday. I think a lot of people are realizing there's a lot of money left in their bank account at the end of the month. That has to go somewhere, and that's providing inflation at the moment in terms of assets, which is why we're seeing the big rally in stock markets. Now, at some point when markets open up, you know, everybody's going to want their holiday, and I suspect everyone's going to want to spend a bit more on the holiday than they did before. Um, so again, you know, that excess spending that we're likely to see from pent-up demand could be quite inflationary. And, and the point that you hinted at, which is a, a very sort of relevant and valid one, um, which is that you know, effectively what we've done this time around, as we did in the financial crisis, is the private sector debt has been nationalized. It's all just gone from corporates and from the personal balance sheets onto the sovereign. Um, and that's come about through bailouts for industries, um, and in the UK, as we know, the furlough scheme. So this is all going on to the sovereign balance sheet. Um, in the financial crisis, sovereign debt to GDP rose around 40 percentage points. Um, and I suspect we're likely to see a similar order of magnitude this time. People are forecasting the UK deficit this year to be 15%, um, which would be a record high. Uh, and at some point, you need to pay that off. Um, and there, obviously, there's a question going forward as to, to whether you pay it off through taxation, which wouldn't be very comfortable. That's be a lot of austerity to do that. Or whether we simply go the simpler way, uh, which is getting rid of that debt through inflation. Um, it was obviously quite surprising during the financial crisis that with all of this money that was thrown at the problem, that we didn't see inflation. Um, I, I suspect, you know, you've always got to sort of think, is it, will it be different this time? I suspect we need some sort of measure of inflation to, to try and reduce the what's going to end up as very, very high debt to GDP levels in the UK and, and all around the world. Um, just finally, we're both sitting here at home, obviously, at the moment, um, recording this podcast, both of us with children in the background doing homeschooling. I tried very early on to get my son interested in investments, but lost him completely when I started talking about compounding and it being the eighth wonder of the world. What does your daughter think about your job? Does she listen to enough that she thinks it interesting or is it just really boring? Um, <laughs> she actually looks at my Bloomberg screen in the background and she wonders whether I'm a hacker or not because there's a screen <laughs> with green and red numbers. <laughs> it does look a little bit like the Matrix at some point. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very interesting social experience, obviously, but spending so much time working in front of your children. I mean, you know, I've learned a lot about what they're doing at school and I think they've learned a lot about what, what, we, what we do at work. That was brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. If you'd like to find out more about the Brooks McDonald Defensive Capital Fund, please go to fundcaliber.com and please subscribe to Investing on the Go. Please note that these are unprecedented times and markets can react very quickly to news. The views expressed are at the time of recording and could change. Please remember we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or to sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of your listening. 